Rising Stars of SaaS is brought to you by LinkedIn Sales Navigator. With face-to-face meetings now a thing of the past, you'll need to quickly adapt your sales strategy to stay ahead. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is the tool designed to help you master digital selling. Go to linkedin.com slash SaaS to start your 60-day free trial. That's linkedin.com slash S-A-A-S. Pipe. SaaS companies, this is for you. Pipe helps you unlock your recurring revenue as upfront capital. No debt, no loans, no dilution. Sign up in minutes and start trading on Pipe free for 12 months at pipe.com slash twist. And Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. We're doing a series called The Rising Stars of SaaS, Software as a Service, Cloud Computing, you know. Uh, the term. And we're having on a range of founders who are selling into businesses on a subscription basis. And uh, the first episode was uh, Steve from Rapid Deploy helping reduce uh, 9-11, uh, 9-1-1 response times. And then we had Ben from uh, Transcend doing data privacy infrastructure, two really interesting topics, right? And building software for enterprises in those spaces really interesting uh, businesses. Um, even though SaaS can be boring in some people's minds, sometimes what SaaS enables is really exciting, uh, like lowering the time of an emergency call, very exciting, or allowing people to protect their privacy and creating a framework for that, very interesting, and today will be no different because our guest today is working on the ability for anybody with a Chromebook for 100 bucks, 200 bucks, to pop open that Chrome browser and to code in the browser, and not only code in the browser, but code in multiplayer mode or with a teacher, and to do it across a range of languages. And this requires zero uh, effort. It's taken all the friction out of popping up a coding environment and starting to learn how to code. Uh, now, uh, it's not a uh, teaching or code camp. Although our founder uh, on today's program did work for, uh, I believe, Code Academy. So welcome to the podcast. I'm Jad Massad uh, from Replit, is That's how correct. you would pronounce it, Replit. Yes. But it is R-E-P-L dot I-T. So you're using the Italian su- uh, subdomain, is that right? Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, uh, top level domain? Yeah. So we do TLD. own Replit.com. Right. Uh, at some point, we'll move to it. But uh, it's just, uh, yeah, it was like a fun thing. We were, uh, when we we're uh, thinking about the company and the product, it started like a project, a side project. And so the name comes from uh, this old school concept uh, in programming called read, eval, print loop. So uh, in, you know, one of the earliest programming languages, Lisp, which was the first interactive programming language in the 50s and 60s, the REPL, R-E-P-L, was the first interactive programming experience. You didn't mm. have to do the whole, like, write the code, compile it, and then run it. 
It was like just you write the code in the environment and it spits out the output uh, interactively. And so that's the inspiration for the product. And so when we're thinking about it, it's like, you know, when you have a problem, when you have an idea, you just repl it. And mm. so that's, that's, how the, uh, uh, that's how it came together. So to explain to people who are not developers um, how simple this is, or to use a metaphor, in a way, what you're doing is like Google Docs, in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, did to word processors from the old school, you used to get word perfect or Microsoft Word, you had to get a CD, you had to install it, you had to set your computer up to do word processing. And after you launched that program, you could open a document. But if you wanted to edit that document, you then had to send it to somebody who then had to load uh, software onto their computer, install it, pay for it, etc. That's right. And, and really, what you've done is the Google Docsification of coding, you can code to uh, Replit right now, start a Python or C environment and start coding, invite somebody, and you're off to the races, correct? Mm -hmm. uh, you're absolutely correct. And uh, Google Docs is something that we think about all the time and how it did that for writing. I think that for programming, it's even more interesting because you're not only, you know, with writing, you're writing the, the text and, and that's it. That's your output. In programming, you're also running the code. And so Replit multiplayer, the technology is connecting multiple people to a cloud instance, to a cloud container. And they're both not only collaborating on the code and the text like Google Docs, but they're also executing the same code. They're collaborating on the same application. So the, it's, it's from the ground up collaborative cloud environment and runtime. And so how is this different than how? people would normally collaborate on code if we were to compare it to what you experienced at Facebook or other coding environments or at a startup, how would a startup be doing this? So the, uh, you know, uh, Git and GitHub w is the sort of seen as the, the you know, big uh, leap in collaborative um, development. And what it did is Previously, people sent files to each other or collaborated via something called SVN. Um, what Git did was that you had your local uh, uh, repository and you edit it, you create a branch, and then you send a pull request to the master repository. So it has this decentralized uh, way of working together. And then the master repository would merge that. And it will, like, Git will figure out all the differences between the different versions of the developers working together. But if you think about it, that's a very uh, static and very, I think, very, you know, archaic way of doing things. It's because, you know, it's like uh, you're, you have this friction uh, when it comes to, to coding is that you have this series of steps you have to do. Replit sort of collapses the entire process into just open uh, the editor, and I can see your cursor there. I can see you with me there, and we're creating the same. We're creating code together now. Of course, it you know Git is solving a lot more things than that. I don't want to make it a direct comparison, but that's the main way that um, that people collaborate today. Now there are you know things like multiplayer that are um you know are happening and people are creating are getting inspired by replit a lot of them um but it's still very 
it's still a lot of friction. So if you want to collaborate with someone in real time, kind of like multiplayer, uh, it's you still have to have gone through the process of setting up your development environment locally. Mm. You still have to make sure your code is in sync with someone else who you're working with before uh, starting to do real-time collaboration. Replit, again, just removes all that friction. We give you the environment. And so the way we think about Replit and product development is that, you know, we're we're just like we're just bulldozing all these friction and all these walls and barriers um in the way of making software and learning how to code and coding the first step for us was get you an instant environment right so setting up the environment still in 2020 will take you hours to days in order to set up like a python environment and replit gives you that instantly and then the next the next thing we solved was package management uh, in order to install like a package, a third-party package, a developer wrote open source package. It was still very laborious. It broke a lot of the times. And so we solved that. We created a technology called the Universal Package Manager that figures out what kind of dependencies you're in your code. And without doing anything, it sort of automatically installs them for you. And so when it came to multiplayer, we looked at the collaboration that exists today and we decided to make it frictionless. And so that's Basically, our, our product strategy and roadmap is that look at every step of the way and see where the friction lies and really just uh, and uh, really remove that friction in, in a very and, simple way. And do people use it as the live environment for editing for their uh, sites and what they're building? Or are people using it mainly for training, evaluating developers who are going to come work there and then they kind of put them into a GitHub like sort of, you know, the old school setting up your own uh, instance. Yeah, uh, I, that's a good point in that Replit today is still optimized for smaller programs, for side projects, for educational projects, for hobbies. Um, so the use cases are still on the educational side, hobby side, um, uh, interviewing, um, it's it's a it's a long tail of use cases uh, that we can talk about, but um, the reason I wouldn't say like dump your you know local setup today and use Replit is because as a small company with limited resources, we're trying to innovate on the things that we're 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 able to innovate on, and that means that you know we have to pick the bets, and one of the bets that we picked is that if we're going to build something truly amazing and truly special. Um, we need to make it simple. And so we decided to make it simple and it's getting powerful with time. Like the, the first version of it ran, like you could only run like, you know, a few lines of code and now you can run, um, you know, uh, thousands of lines of codes. You can, uh, people are launching websites and web apps on it and people are launching, uh, we just did a blog post, a YC company built their, uh, entire product, uh, their MVP in two weeks on Replit. So that's one use case that we're seeing a lot of is I'm going to do all my prototyping here, but maybe, you know, when time comes when I'm shipping the, the software, maybe I'll move off to GitHub and, 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 and AWS and, all right, and what have you. Get back from this quick break. I have a question for you as somebody who started as a software engineer in, uh, you know, a decade ago at Yahoo and then uh, was a, a founding engineer at Code Academy uh, and spent a couple of years at facebook and now having built uh replit i want to know how much 
easier it is today to learn to be a developer and then what that means in terms of the pool of potential developers on a global basis now that we're in a work from home environment uh, over the next decade. So we're going to look back over the past decade and how much easier it's gotten and then how much easier it's going to get over the next decade when we get back on This Week in Startups. Right now, everything is changing so rapidly, including the sales industry. With face-to-face meetings now a thing of the past, you'll need to quickly adapt your sales strategy if you want to stay ahead. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is the tool that is designed to help you master digital selling. You all know that. With real-time updates, alerts, and thoughtful insights, you'll find new ways to connect with your buyers at a distance. You can tap into that amazing 700 million member network and use LinkedIn Sales Navigator to get those 20 monthly email messages, lead recommendations, and unlimited searches. So you get right to the front of people's inboxes, actionable insights, and access to free courses on LinkedIn Learning. You get everything. And you can target the right prospects and decision makers, which can unlock 18% more pipeline from properly sourced opportunities, you get a 7% lift in win rate and 33% larger deal sizes. Our sales guy, Matt here at This Week in Startups, loves LinkedIn Sales Navigator, and he uses it just to you know precisely target the right people and find the contacts he needs so we can keep This Week in Startups sold out. We got a special offer here, a 60-day free trial of Sales Navigator. In order to unlock that, all you have to do is go to linkedin.com slash SAS, S-A-A-S. That's right. Go to linkedin.com slash S-A-A-S to start your free 60-day trial of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Get your whole sales team in there and start seeing the register ring. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. It's our rising stars of SaaS. Today, I'm Jad Massad from Replit, which you can go to replit.com. Or if you want to be cooler, you can go to repl.it. As we've heard, they will set up in your browser right now a development environment and let you code with your friends. What is it, like five, 10 bucks a month for the product per seat? Uh, the free product does almost everything that the that the pro does, but uh, it's uh, seven dollars if you want like private uh, repls. That's it. So for like a hundred bucks a year, I can use it, or less than a hundred bucks a year. Uh, obviously, I can eighty five bucks a year. I can just use it uh, and have all my code private. Yeah, and and uh, look, it'll solve. It'll save you from buying a very expensive computer too, because we see a lot of. Uh, programmers that use Replit predominantly, they uh, use Chromebooks, they mm. use tablets, some of them. We've had kids in India that uh, had only tablets and learned to code on Replit. And, uh, and, you know, they that, don't need to have that local environment on a MacBook Pro for $3,000. It's crazy. Uh, this like, is what I was doing internally in my company. I had everybody on Chrome boxes and I was really getting into Chrome. Yeah. And then I just, for zoom is particularly bad on chrome os um and so i relented and let people get Macs one more time but man is it is so infuriating when people start buying these Macs for three thousand dollars when we could have literally bought five chrome boxes or chromebooks uh, or three basically I mean, three it's it's a problem because when i worked at facebook we were i worked on the photos team for for a little while and we were designing a new product for desktop photos and everyone on the team had a uh, a MacBook, and we had these uh, you know pristine screens and these very high performance uh, 
laptops, and we designed something for those laptops. And then when we wanted to uh, launch the product in beta, the UX testers uh, came back to us and I was like, are you crazy? Like most people have wide screens. Most people that use Facebook on desktop have these notebook or netbook style mm. uh, computers. And we just designed this like beautiful experience, a vertical scrolling experience for, for uh, MacBook. And, uh, and that's a problem we see in startups in Silicon Valley all the time where they have the best and the greatest equipments, but they're building for people that don't necessarily have that and see you have that mismatch. Yeah, it's also like people designing web app uh, apps for their desktop browser on some crazy widescreen monitor, and they never look at it on, you know, an iPhone nine or 10, you know, like when mm -hmm. they really need to be looking two or three phones back at a pixel three, and seeing right. what the majority of the world's going to see. Um, you started in developing when it was uh, pretty hard to get into, not impossible, but it was harder. Uh, but, you know, in the 2010, I'm assuming you learned how to code in the aughts from 2000 to 2010? Mm -hmm. um, no, I learned, I learned how to code very, very early in, in, in 93 when I was six years old. Oh, okay. Six years old? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. How does a six-year-old wind up coding? So... Uh, it's actually related to Replit's mission, but when you bought a computer, you probably remember uh, in the like 80s, 90s, you had to learn how to code in order to use the computer. Like, so when you boot up a DOS, yeah, uh, like you had to learn how to load the software, command line stuff, yeah. and and write some software, write some code in order to use it. And uh, and so my father, back in Jordan, where we're from, bought this computer uh and uh and he put a lot of money into it despite not having a lot of it and uh he he had this big manual and inside this manual you had these sample programs that you can write yep and in so basic you could write them in something exactly you had basic yeah. programs you had all these manuals taught you how to program you bought a yeah. computer they taught you how to program right and uh in in some ways replit is sort of uh inspired by this era of computing is because what we're saying is that you know, we're just going to give you a development environment and you're just uh, as, uh, you know, as fast as possible. We're like, we're like DOS for the cloud. You can think about it. Like we give mm -hmm. you this development environment and you have to learn how to code in order to use it. Um, and but back uh, then you didn't have a lot of resources. There was no YouTube. There was no Code Academy. There was no Lambda School. There were no free coding classes online, like Free Code Camp, I believe, yeah. uh, who we had on the program. And you certainly didn't have the ability to use a $100 Chromebook or tablet, yeah. some Android tablet, uh, which basically are almost free now. So, you know, in this, in the environment today, how difficult is it in terms of cost and time and resources for somebody to learn to code? Would you estimate if you had to break it down for us? Um, I would say it's... Uh, uh, I would say, like, if you go to a library and uh, and just go on Replit on the in the library, that's zero dollars basically. It doesn't okay. Cost. If you go so to if, a free you, if you have a library, library <laughs> access to a library, <laughs> you can load up Replit and you can be coding, and then yeah. you could go to YouTube and or I yeah. don't know if you guys have coding resources online, but FreeCodeCamp uses Replit uh, as their environment, so oh, you okay, can go perfect. to FreeCodeCamp and or you can go to YouTube and start watching and open replit on the side or if you're in the library go grab a book uh open replit and and start uh, learning and start so learning. 
the cost is zero in terms of hardware, internet connection, and software today. Mm-hmm. If you're near a library, which most people in the modern world are, if not, yeah. the cost is a internet connection and a hundred dollar, two hundred dollar computer, correct? Yeah, exactly. Or a tablet. Like we've seen people, uh, which tend to tab- cost a hundred or two hundred bucks, used. something like that. Yeah, you could buy a used Chromebook all day for two hundred bucks, no problem. Capable of running in this environment, no problem. Mm-hmm. All right. So then the issues become the motivation to learn or some self-discipline to learn the desire Mm -hmm. the discipline and then what does it take in terms of um an individual's prerequisites to learn how to code in your mind to learn Mm -hmm. how to become a coder who could build an app of the level of sophistication of i don't know twitter youtube ebay in other words or reddit Mm-hmm. Like a basic community app, a basic social app, a basic marketplace app, a basic mm-hmm. Craigslist, those type of apps. Who's in the world is capable of learning how to get to the level of building their own Reddit, let's mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. or Hacker News? Th- a percentage a- of the population. And what would they need as a prerequisite? How long would it take them? Just think out loud here with me. That's, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, uh i i certainly think that uh young people um any of them i think any young person could be able to could learn how to code because they have the mental models for how computers work they grew up with computers they know how the web works most of them um i think it's a little bit challenging when you uh when you you know for example uh expect uh like a coal miner out of work to 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 learn how to code i I think it's uh i I don't think it's very productive to say age issue maybe if they were generational i I don't think it's an age issue when you look at it no i I think it's just uh tech savviness right it's like savviness yeah if they are unpack what that means I think if you understand, you know, what, what a web browser is, what the browser is, the difference between apps and, and browsers, how the internet works, uh, you can set up a computer from scratch. You can, uh, I think when people, uh, tinkering, I think is, is a thing. You see a lot of young people figuring out how things work just by tinkering with them. I think a little bit more older folks are worried that they're going to break that computer Got or where they're going to, so they don't think as older much. folks, you mean people over 50, over 60, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I mean, all of this is generation, uh, generalization. Well, that's what I was saying. I feel yeah. it's generational. Like maybe yeah. boomers have a hard time, but a coal miner who was 40. Yeah. Could has be. been using a computer their whole life in all likelihood at when they get home. So I, I think it's much easier for them to learn it. how to code. And then uh, it's just this idea, uh, I think, that's very important of tinkering, right? Mm. Um, so, you know, you can anyone can watch an instructional video on YouTube and follow it uh, through. But I think uh, the, the main difference between those who end up learning how to code and end up changing their careers and end up uh, uh, becoming programmers and those who don't is the uh, curiosity and the ability to tinker. And so Replit is designed in a way to encourage that. So we have, uh, we have a community angle where anyone can publish an application and not only an application, but it's source code as well. Mm. So, you know, on GitHub, you can publish source code, but on Replit, you can publish the source code and the application so i can see how you built it and i can play with it 
And then we have this big button called fork, right? You can click fork and you have a copy of that application and now you can tinker with it. And I think a lot of learning is not just following these instructional videos, although that's important and a lot of people do it. It's this ability and curiosity to, uh, to you know, change something and seeing what the effect of it is. And so to go back to your original question about can people build a Twitter app or a Craigslist app? Or, I think uh, there are multiple, we can go through the different sort of difficulties there. So one is setting up the development environment. So we solved that, right? Uh, two is uh, understanding the basics of, of computers and how they work. And I think that's the tough part, whether, whether people know Getting acclimated to how computers work is a huge part of it. When we get back from this quick break, I want you to explain what it would take if let's assume you had the computer, you have the high-speed internet connection, and you've taken your computer apart and reinstalled the operating system twice, and you've now got that under your belt, which would mm -hmm. probably be a one-month tinkering mm -hmm. expedition uh, with your computer. How long would it take the average human um, in the Western world, let's just say, a Western level of education, high school, diploma, uh, GED, how long would it take them to learn how to build their own little mm -hmm. Craigslist or Reddit when we get back on This Week in Startups? SaaS companies have something called reoccurring revenue. You all know about reoccurring revenue. SaaS companies need fuel, fuel to make the product better, and they need fuel to do marketing and make more people aware of their product. Now, what choice do you have? You could raise no money and just grow really slow off your profitability. Number two is you could get equity from somebody like me, which is great. Or there's now this incredible third option. You can go to pipe.com. Pipe.com is a marketplace and this is super innovative. They will take the annual value of a contract. So if somebody was saying, eh, my company will pay $1,000 a month for your software. Well, that's 12,000 a year. They'll say, hey, would you like to buy that $12,000 in revenue at a little bit of a discount to give that money to the founder so the founder can deploy it to guess what get more customers with pipe there's no debt there's no loans there's no dilution it's frictionless it's transparent and within 24 hours they can get that cash in your bank they're so confident you'll love trading your SaaS subscriptions that if you sign up at pipe.com twist they're going to eliminate all your trading fees for the year this could save you tens of thousands of dollars depending on the size of your business of course so happy piping sign up today at pipe.com twist welcome back to this week in startups my guest today i'm jad masad who is from replit you can go to replit.com right now or r-e-p-l dot i-t if uh you like me miss italy <laughs> and you want to go back um so we are talking about this issue and I, and I bring this up because it is one of these issues that it seems people can't get to ground truth on the one as my friend chamath will say canonical truth the truth is you believe that a hundred percent of young people can learn how to code. I agree with that. And then of some number of old people, uh, let's take the over 60 crowd. Well, they're going to retire anyway. So let's put them aside. They would have to learn computing and be willing to tinker and break things and get their hands dirty. And then even the tail end of Gen X, they've already worked on computers. So a coal miner who's 40, they probably have enough information on how to use a computer to, to get up and running. So once they 
fall into that group of they've got a high school education. They understand basic math. They know understand how to type and use a computer. They can reinstall their operating system or change, I don't know, the graphics card in their computer and reinstall Windows or whatever it happens to be. They're just comfortable. They're not going to break it. What would it take in terms of the number of hours, weeks, months of somebody at night and weekends putting in two or three hours a day? Let's say, let's say somebody put in three hours a day. That's a nice number. That's the uh, that's about sixty uh, percent of the time people spend watching TV currently mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. Four or five hours a day is the average. So mm-hmm. let's say half that amount. Two, let's say three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Three hours a day of learning to code and tinkering. What would it take for the average individual in the Western world to learn how to build Reddit or Hacker, New- Hacker News? Yeah, so um, uh, so I, I agree with with the way you summers, summarized it there. I think for the majority of people, there's nothing really standing on in your way in order to learn how to code. And if you have the drive and the means to do it, uh, and you you'd like to explore, it, you should absolutely go and explore it. The um, we have an example uh, of someone on Replit who was a security guard, and he had exactly three hours a day to code. And he uh, he would code, you know, on his lunch breaks and at home, and um, and he would go to Replit and and open up a, a new application or fork something from our templates or community uh, section and start coding. And I think a lot of it is after you've gone through, like let's say, Free Code Camp or Code Academy or you know, a, a instructional book. A lot of it is just going to be this trial and error. A lot of it is like I want to, um, like I want to. So, what does it take to do a Twitter app, for example? One thing that it takes is to save, uh, is to post uh, a tweet, right? And so the way you do it is, I have a form, and I write the tweet, I hit submit, and that needs to go to a server, and that server needs to save it in the cloud somewhere, right? And uh, on Replit, we make the entire process easier. So uh, on Replit, it's a full stack environment. So you can build using uh, Flask or Django or Node.js or what have you. And it's all in the same environment. So you have the back end and the front end and the IDE and the output for that all on, the, on one screen. So you collapse everything all on one screen. Where typically you have to go learn AWS, you have to go learn you know, GitHub, VS Code, whatever. We're bringing all that now one screen. Uh, we just released recently uh, a database that works as easy as pointing and clicking. You have an icon in the uh, in the development environment that looks like a database. You click on that. It tells you bring in this library, and now you can do save, add, delete. You can do all these very simple operation on a database, and now you have a persistent application. Um, and so it's it's a matter of uh, every step of the way. Uh, think about what needs to what what kind of user experience I'm building, and then googling, searching, asking in communities, asking on Stack Overflow, figuring out what you need to do in order to achieve that user experience. Um, and I would say for someone who is has basic proficiency in code, they should immediately jump in and try to build that Reddit, try to build that Twitter. I think a lot of people get lost in courses. I'm mm. going to take this one more Udacity course. I'm going to take this more, one more Coursera course. Replit is, 
philosophy so is you're, yeah, tinkering. Bill, tinkering is better than book learning. Yeah. And people get tripped up there. So in your estimation, three hours a day, like the security guard we talked about here, or the coal, the proverbial coal miner or journalist who's been laid off with a told learn to code, um, that person, three hours a day, 100 days, 300 hours, uh, 200 days, 600 hours? I would say, let's, uh, let's say like a, a month to go or let's, you know, two months to go free code camp or basic instructional material via book Got it. or YouTube. And I would say another month or two uh, building to build a Twitter or Reddit. I would say end to end four months, you could actually build an app uh, from zero to an app. So two, 200 hours of learning maybe 250 something in that range and all of a sudden you're able to build an app yes and and so the world has gotten uh much more uh fair in this regard in terms of access to technology in your mind um yeah i mean we have a long way to go but it's definitely gone a lot more fair and and what i think is is more interesting I mean, the information is there the product to use it is so cheap it is revolutionary i mean we're not talking about when you started you had to buy a three thousand dollar computer and your dad had to suffer to buy that that's quite a hurdle right two or yeah. three grand for a computer now we're talking about two hundred dollars for a computer at a minimum wage of 10 or 15 dollars an hour depending on if you're driving for uber or postmates we're talking about you know a couple of days maybe to, to acquire a 200 hundred dollar chromebook so yeah it's, to it's be clear we we need to be we need to as a society accept that we've made progress on this and people don't seem to want to accept the fact that free code camp and lambda mm -hmm. and all these other platforms and replit and mm -hmm. chrome have resulted in the ultimate um democratization of development mm -hmm. it used to be you had to go to get a computer science degree and have thousands of dollars for a, a computer to do this mm -hmm. yeah uh i think why don't people accept that it's been democratized <laughs> Um, it's almost I'm, like they don't want to accept it's being democratized. I'm not sure. I mean, I am as a, you as believe an, it's democratized, right? As as an entrepreneur, I just want to keep pushing the the edge. So, for example, yeah. one 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 place that I feel like it's not democratized, and now Replit is working in democratizing, is deploying to the cloud, ah. right? So, so like, you why know, is that not democratized? Because I mean, there's an expense associated with it. Like, go, go to AWS and try to figure that out. Uh, ah, complexity. Complexity and also you need a payment uh, method ahead of time. Like, what if I don't have a credit card, right? Got it. Uh, just to access the cloud, you need. Uh, there are hurdles right now, and you know we see the cloud as this next phase of computing. You had the you had the mainframe, you had the desktop computer, you had the the smartphone. I think the cloud is this next big phase in computing, mm. especially with things like uh, Elon Musk's uh, Starlink. Mm. Uh, I think Basis is doing a similar thing. Now, when we have satellite computing, uh, that will sort of uh, blanket, blanket, earth. blanket. That's, that's, that's to me. That, yeah, you know, I mean, the, there's probably a billion people on the planet, from what I understand from the research, that this will have a really big impact on. So, what's brilliant about it is it basically takes the people with the least access and gives them the best access exactly because it's going to be from i mean listen i i don't have inside information although i might um it's i know be, your friends yeah it's going to be listen i don't i'm not going to speak about any inside information <laughs> i do or don't have 
but let me just leave it at this. It's going to be really fucking fast. Okay. And I'm not saying I've seen it. Okay. I'm not saying I haven't seen it. But what I will say is, if I if if it if Elon's building it, it's going to be yeah. really fucking fast. Yeah. Let me tell you something. My boy's into speed, and it's yeah. fucking uh, anyway. I don't want to say anything. I'm going to steal his thunder. But this shit's going to be fast. So to to us, like uh, I agree with you 100. percent The world has gone into a much better place for, uh, with regards to access to technology. But as an engineer entrepreneur, I uh, always want to push it more. Yeah. And to me, I, I always tell my team that we're going to be. I, I maybe I feel like maybe we're one percent done. When there's a 14 kid in India that bought a tablet and started a business on their phone, on their tablet. Like, I want them to go to Replit, build a, build a startup. Build a startup. That's, that's Build a startup with a $200 Chromebook. Uh, when we get back for this quick break, I want to get your thoughts on, speaking of democratization, the no-code movement. Uh, people might look at you and no-code as being in a bit of a paradigm uh, debate as to what is the best way for new coders to get involved either through not doing code or to be doing code in a frictionless environment like replit when we get back on this week in startups one of the toughest parts of building a company is choosing which tools and providers to use you know this you want to pick the best solution for each department to help your employees succeed because they deserve the best, we all know that. But there are so many functions in a startup, and each one has an endless list of potential vendors. There's sales tools, there's email marketing, accounting, HR, payroll, project management, customer support, point of sale, e-commerce, you know, it goes on and on and on. Well, eventually, you will wind up with a Frankenstack of tools that cost a lot and that don't integrate properly. Well, Odoo is here to change that. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software products that let you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. It's simple, it's modular, so you use what you need and all their apps integrate perfectly with each other. How amazing does that sound? Plus, it's all open source, so you can spend that freshly raised capital on talent instead of expensive software. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering, wait for it, a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. So go to Odoo, O-D-O-O dot com slash twist to check it out. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist to get the $1,000 in credit. Who knows how long that'll last, so go now. Odoo dot com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Welcome back to this weekend starters. My guest today is Amjad Masad, and uh, he is A M A S A D uh, on the Twitter, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Replit. So the 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 per seat licensing is a good business, or is there some bigger business here that we'll eventually see, like maybe being competitive with an Amazon and hosting? Yes, uh, we 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 view ourselves as a, uh, a cloud computing company. Got it. So eventually, it, you you could make this whole editor free instead of seven bucks, and then just make the money off of people running their um, running their work from the cloud. Yes, exactly. We see that uh, as the best as the as the sort of the uh, the next frontier for us is, uh, mm. is just making the cloud as easy as uh as easy as we made coding 
Uh, so just so people know, we had Quincy Larson on episode 1049 back in April of 2020 for Free Co Camp. Uh, and Austin from Lambda, which we have a tiny, tiny investment in, uh, was also on the program. Uh, you can just Google Austin Lambda this week in startups and find it. Um, so my tease when we went to break was, you know, we bubble Webflow. There's a bunch of these no code tools out there. And they're supposed to be democratizing people getting into coding or having no code startups, which I love, I think is a really big opportunity. Uh, But you're kind of democratizing coding. Seems like both of those are in a race, but in a paradigm, um, in two different paradigms, one is to make it easier to code and get more people coding. The other one is to tell you, hey, forget about coding, just use our tool and, and publish. Is that an accurate assessment? And then do you see yourself in competition with the web flows and bubbles for supremacy of startup creation in the future i think coding is is a is not the problem i think that the 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 problem is all the crap that comes with coding and so we're about making the act of coding a lot easier you can think of replit as low code because Mm. we take we automate a lot of things for you we abstract a lot of things for you we just make everything easier so you're writing a lot less code with replit because you you don't have to do all this setup and maintenance uh and we don't think that coding itself uh is is the problem like it's um i don't know what's the hypothesis behind no code or the idea that that code is bad but like why is code bad it's just an interface well, it's hard and it's intimidating right it would be what people would say um, and that it's easier to just drag and drop stuff and move it around and maybe to write logic like if this happens, then that, which is like a scripting you as opposed coding. to coding. You end up coding. Anytime you yeah. make a complicated no-code app, you end up doing the act of coding. You're just, mm-hmm. uh, you're just using a visual metaphor, which actually hits limits pretty quickly. Like maybe they'll solve that limits, but visual... Uh, Visual programming, as it's called in the kind of the uh, uh, scientific sense or traditional sense, people call it visual programming. It's been around for, I don't know, 30, 40 years. And um, it's really like the, the current iteration of it is, is not that much different than what we've seen. It just has the Silicon Valley hype attached to it. Got it. Um, and, so uh, you don't buy it. You don't think that's going to... You basically look at it as training wheels, and then eventually you're going to have to look under the hood and code. Well, I think I think Webflow, for example, is amazing for building websites, but I don't see how is that related to 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 like building writing a program. Like mm. it's you Dreamweaver. Will AI become a big step function here with people literally speaking to computers and saying, "Hey, I want to build an app that's like Uber, so I need to have Maps, I need to have Facebook, Twitter, and Gmail, and Apple login." And I would like to have a user account and I would like to have a user profile page and I want to have on the profile page a picture and then all of a sudden the app is building while you're talking. This yeah. is eventually going to happen, right? Yeah. So I wrote a blog post uh, on, on our blog called The Role of AI in Coding. So I got a GPT-3 access early on and you built a bunch of... Explain de- to people what GPT-3 is. So GPT-3 is a, is a product from OpenAI. Uh, GPT-3 is a language model, a really huge language model that uh, basically you can think about it as a prediction engine. So you give it a piece of text and it tells you 
with high likelihood what is the what is the token uh which is like a letter or character that comes after that uh and then when you apply it to language problems it ends up performing uh you know a lot better than anything we've ever seen before uh and so so it understands what you want yeah uh, and, and so it has the ability to write code so the interesting thing about GPT-3 is that you can program it you can program it using natural language basically. So you sort of tell it examples. You say uh when I say A you give me apple. When I say uh C you give me car. When I say D and then you hit enter and then it 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 gives you like a like a word uh like demo or whatever so it learns donut. pattern donut i just saw donut donut <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it learns it learns kind of a human learn when, when it, humans see patterns mm. they're like okay we're playing this game now and it starts almost like playing the game with you yeah. and so it it can give some programming ability to non-programmers and that's why it's gotten so much popular on twitter is because people would give it these small examples and it would generate this amazing complexity uh and and ability to understand context and to do certain things and so you can also is it apply a parlor to trick or is it reality in other words is it just got a big enough corpus of information that it spits back to you impressive looking stuff um or is it actually understanding the context in in or some does cases, that even matter in some cases it does it does understand the context in some cases you it just doesn't feel like it's just brute forcing uh, its way uh, into the problem. It just feels like, uh, it, you know, I uh, I played around with it. I was trying to make it uh, uh, do do programming, and it it generalizes enough. And so maybe maybe it doesn't make a difference, like I said. But the act of generalization that it makes, uh, uh, it uh, feels like it understands context. Mm. So you give it certain examples and it abstracts over them. So it generalizes over them. And so now it just feels like it, it's doing something with understanding. Has it been trained on the entire corpus on something like GitHub or all open source repositories? Yes. So it, it has been trained on code. So it's able to write code. So if it's been trained on code, can you tell it only use code in its corpus and like limit its output and, and thought process to just code so that Yes. It simplifies it. You can do that. Yeah, you can do that. It's currently limited. They have a fine tuning API that we ask, ask mm -hmm. us to, but I don't think they're giving it out. But because uh, that would be the ultimate, right? If you could fine tune it and say, listen, I just want open source repositories that have over this many lines of code, this many contributions in the last, you know, whatever, five years. So the, it only takes the active stuff. It only, you know, it skims the cream of what's out there. Only give me open source projects that are active, active defined by whatever. Totally. Yeah, and, and it ends up writing pretty high-quality code, and we've seen pretty impressive demos. It's not, I wouldn't say it will write an entire application like your example with, like, give me that and give me that. I wouldn't, like, uh, it, but it, but you could make it, there's a, there's a startup, uh, D-Build, uh, that they're doing that where they're, they're doing, they're, you still need to do a lot more with GPT-3 in order to make it write very complex applications so you you might have multiple models and and things like that but you get back to the no code question is that the question is is it plausible that in the future uh you'll be able to talk to the to the computer and it generating code i think it's absolutely plausible are we there i don't think we're there um 
And, uh, but I still would, uh, would say your programming. Even if we get to the point where there is an AI that is taking requirements and uh, they call it code synthesis and synthesizing code, you're still programming. And so this is maybe the issue I take with maybe some of the no-code tools and the claims that they make is that uh, you, when you're coding or when you're using something like that that automates the process of coding, you're still programming. So code is incidental. Like maybe at some point we'll get rid of it. Uh, but right now, coding as an interface works really quite well and has been sort of uh, stood the test of time as an interface for programming. So will AI replace programmers? That's a big debate. People are starting to think, hey, we're getting close with this GPT-3. And coding is a lot for startups, at least a lot of repetitive stuff like let's make a profile page, let's make a chat room, let's make a Slack room, let's make a threaded message board like Reddit. These things are very repetitive. In fact, we invested in a company called Gigster, which had the basic premise that when you outsource stuff, you should outsource it to the top 2% of programmers because they are going to have done these like little components and the components can just be put together very quickly. So will we see AI replace programmers? And if so, when? I think uh, the most immediate thing that AI will do is will make programmers uh, more effective, more efficient, and will continue to increase the uh, access to programming kind of in the same way that Replit uh, does that. We continue to look at it and, and invest in it. And at some point, we're, um, we're probably going to build something there. But uh, I, I don't see it. Uh, uh, so if you replace programming programmers, that's the last job you have to replace. Because think about it. The if the machine can program itself, then you get into what AI researchers call intelligence uh, explosion, because you have an AI that is programming itself to get better. And so maybe an AI programs it's sort of the uh, the next version that is better of itself. Of itself, and then the yes. next version is programming the next version, and then you have a runaway explosion, and then. It, we invented God. <laughs> it, yeah. it's, it, it, so it is, if programming gets automated, it's the last job that's going to get automated. And it's the end of human, the human species, basically. It, it is yeah. like Skynet, right? I mean. Basically, you would be Skynet. So, I mean, I hope uh, programming doesn't get automated because I think it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a very different and risky world because it ends up centralizing power into the hands of the people who end up. How far off do you program. think we are from that? Because um, you had your mind blow by GPT three, right? That kind of blew your mind, and that was unexpected. It blew my mind, but I still could see its limitations very clearly, and I could still, it's, um, it's still not reasoning. Like I don't think it is, there's any reasoning there. I, I don't. Th we're decades away. I think we're definitely mm -hmm. decades away. Um, uh, but uh, but I think two or three decades go by pretty quickly based on yeah. my <laughs> life experience. <laughs> I felt like I was in the nineties just yesterday, and yeah. three decades. We're here. We are three decades later. Two decades later from the nineties. So it does go by yeah. quick. In yeah. twenty years, you could see that GPT three being pretty darn good, huh? Yeah, I, th I think there's still something missing. Uh, like neural networks 
work in a in a in a kind of like you know fashion like you said you throw more data at it you throw more compute at it it's it becomes this very resource intensive thing that it just you know the more it grows the better it gets but i think there's a limit to that and i think the next uh, evolution in ai has to be some kind of reasoning and has mm. to be some kind of different thing i think neural networks will hit their limits at some point and so the question will become okay when do we when do we get to the next uh to the next uh, innovation in ai yeah that makes sense it does it, for people who are trying to figure out what we're talking about here imagine you know c3po or making the next version of c3po or david from alien working on a project to make the next version of himself mm -hmm. or in blade runner you know uh pris and working on the next version of herself and that happens really quickly actually in the movie her they they did that yeah so in the movie her uh you know the last scene or something like that she she's like alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We went into the movie for 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, yes, you'll probably you, see it. You've seen it. <laughs> um, she comes back to, to, to him, to Joaquin Phoenix on, on, the, on the headphone, and she says, uh, we've been talking and we've been working, me and other AIs, we connected, and we've, we found you know uh, to paraphrase we we found another plane of consciousness or something like that so they improved so much in the in the time when he was just chatting with her that they just escaped sort of uh yeah. esca escaped this lower plane of consciousness that humans are on yes and so and so you know there's you know if that happens it's, it's quite scary and it's quite uh unpredictable uh what happens next yeah, so you're in the Elon Musk camp of be careful what you wish for. <laughs> this could get really interesting in a in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, I um, I think um, I think we should continue to make progress on all these things, uh, but at the same time, yeah, there's there needs to be discussion about like what uh wh where does it go? It probably needs to be some kind of oversight. Um, you know, I, I haven't thought about it as much as, as Elon uh, or others have, have thought about it, but fr from, you know, I've thought about it from the point of view of programming and, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about building tools to make programmers more efficient because a lot of what we do, like you talked about, is pretty repetitive work that we need to, that we can automate. But, uh, once you can automate the whole thing, then it's, it's pretty scary. What was that? You said something debuild was like, uh, somebody trying to build an automated startup builder or something? You yeah. mentioned uh yeah so i think it's dbuild um and uh, uh it's uh it's one of the biggest uh demos on twitter where i'm sure you've seen it where someone like tells gpt3 to like write code to build like a like you said like a profile picture profile page or whatever wait, wait it's and, called dbuild or yeah dbuild.ai probably huh dbuild yeah. .co. Yeah, dbuild.co. dbuild.co. Uh, okay, they they cool. haven't launched yet. Uh, ah. So Sharif, the CEO, uh, I should probably connect with him. It's, uh, it's very thoughtful uh, on these things. dbuild.co. There it is. Build web apps lightning fast. Yeah, just describe what you're doing in English. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I remember seeing these uh, GPT-3 code builder on the Twitter uh yeah these videos are crazy um where he just says i want this this and this 
so here it is. Yes, Sharif uh, Shamim. Uh, I with GP3, I built a, lay a layout generator where you just describe any layout you want, and it generates the JSX, the JavaScript code yep. for you. Yep. Wow. A button that looks like a watermelon. Yeah. <laughs> that is pretty nice. Yeah. Is that legit, those uh, demos? Yeah, they're, they're pretty legit. But uh, in order to scale them, uh, DBuild is having to build a lot of technology behind them. It's not just calling into GPG-3 and calling it a day. So mm. uh, they're impressive, but it's, it's still a lot of work. It's not just GPT-3 doing all the legwork. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, uh, this has been an amazing episode. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time and everybody check out Replit. You're hiring software engineers, community managers. What are you hiring for? Yeah, we're hiring software engineers, hiring community managers. We're starting to think about a, a marketing position. We have it on our site. Um, and uh yeah uh replica jobs just google it you'll find yeah. it it's, it's in the top top yeah. of the uh yeah yeah it gives you it gives you a terminal so you have to you, you have, have to, to you have to earn it you have to earn it you have to figure <laughs> have to out how to, how to how to get to the jobs page <laughs> i'm literally on the terminal right now so i think i failed the test I, my coding days are i was thinking about it I was like, maybe i should learn to code i was like nah maybe i should learn to play guitar yeah and tennis yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean uh, i mean look it's uh, it, it could be a very interesting pastime like it could be like a very creative very fun and interesting like maybe don't think about it as like uh as like for building something, but it could be a hobby. And, you know, that's yes. one of the things that we're, we're seeing with Replit. A lot of the older folks, you know, that maybe were programming curious at some time in their youth, they're coming back to it and they're like treating it as a hobby. Uh, yeah, I kind of like that idea of like as a hobby, as a meditative thing to build little things and concentrate. I mean, I like to write too. And so Very I think similar. that's why I was like more interested in writing and journalism than coding is because I just felt like it was more accessible for me and more expressive. But I do see writing as like the act of writing to me. Is like meditating, or I have very, I have like incredible flow, and I hear that from developer friends that they have this incredible flow totally. experiences when they're developing, where they yeah. get lost in the in the code, as yeah, it were. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Continued success, and we'll see you all next time on this week in startups. Bye bye.